Um, first of all, I'd like to say again, thank you to all the staff and country catering. So can we have a round of applause for all of them? Thank you. So next week's upcoming session, um, which is also listed on the SACPA website, www.sacpa.ca, um, is Don't Be a Victim, How Can We Detect and Avoid Fraud? Um, the speaker will be Constable Dan Schwartz, so um, hope to see you out. Um, there is a suggestion box that's placed in the lobby for any ideas or comments. So on your way out, if you are feeling like you would like to hear something, please do fill that out. Um, so back to today's topic, interventions to change practice in long-term care facilities. Um, we always in the media hear about Alberta Health Services and the challenges that they continue to have, and it's a big machine and long-term care is part of, of that machine. So um, I hope over lunch everyone had a wonderful discussion and I welcome back Dr. Kaspar and we have a mic up here for people to ask questions. Oh, I see some people going up. Hi. Hello. Uh, my name is Deb Rakus. Um, <clears throat> I'm wondering in your research if you ever looked at uh, continuing care standards and the audit process and whether or not that had an effect on uh, care levels and person-centered care. Um, so yes, uh, and, and when you mean, so I have to, my research, I, I just moved here from British Columbia. Uh, so I know someone came up and said, everyone wants to know what facilities you're in. They were in British Columbia. I moved here to work at the University of Lethbridge uh, in January, so I'm very new to Lethbridge. Um, and, and so my question is, is uh, the reason I'm kind of cautionary is that I was looking at, at standards and how they impacted in British Columbia. And of course, it's, it's all provincially, it's very, very different. What I will say is that I think that I've never seen a regulatory standard that helps to produce person-centered care, to be blunt. Um, and that's because what we do is we, we create regulations. So for instance, we've decided every resident needs to have two baths a week, period. Um, and yet we're not also making, looking at what's going what's, what's gonna to have to go by the wayside to make that happen. And, um, and, and so that's... <laughs> Does that answer? I mean, I, I think that we can. Um, I think that we can overregulate to the point that everyone is making sure that they are in compliance with regulations, and that that actually can get in the way of providing person-centered care um, at times. And that regulations really only lead bring us up to the lowest common denominator, as opposed to actually um, helping us to provide the kind of care that we would want to see. Um, uh, provided to our loved ones. Does that make sense? Yes. It okay. Does. Thank you. Yeah. Hello, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Thank you very much for coming today. I, I I watched your presentation at the university, and I thought this is good SACPA topic. And as you can see, it is. <laughs> Uh, my question uh, relates to, I have a, f a friend of mine is at the hospital 
who barely remembers me. <clears throat> and invariable, when I go to visit him, everyone is at the desk. Mm. <laughs> Eight people at the desk, and yeah. nobody on the floor. Yeah. Is that um, a systemic? Uh, I, I would say that that is, again, uh, that, that goes back to the, to the first question, um, and that is that there is so much emphasis. Um, so when, for instance, in, in British Columbia, they're called compliance officers, and when the compliance officers come into the facility, what they, what they are looking at to measure quality of care is documentation. <laughs> Um, and, and so we work very hard, and, and at the desk, I, I'm sure that what's happening at the desk is there's documentation and there's communication about documentation. Um, and, and, and that's often what the result of increasing regulatory standards is, is that we're increasing how much we're documenting to be able to show that we're providing good quality care. Um, and I think that that's a problem. And one of the things that I, uh, how I describe this in that one facility that was so outstanding is that that, and this is so sad, that manager in that facility um, got fired uh, about six months after I completed my study, and it was because he was so consistently out of compliance with his documentation. And it's because you couldn't find him in his, his office ever. He was always on the floor, and he had his finger on the pulse of what was happening. He could introduce me to the residents in his facility. Uh, he knew his staff personally. He knew what was happening in their lives personally. He knew them as people. And, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think, I think it's, I think it's a problem. Um, and I, and I know that we can't, we cannot get rid of regulatory standards, but we need to really look at how, uh, what the unintended consequence is of, of causing, of, of, of requiring that much documentation and the resources that get spent on that. Um, I think um, w definitely what gets, w uh, the unintended consequence of that is we're pulling people off the floor more and more and more and, and forcing them to be behind desks at computers. <coughs> Terry Shellington, thank you very much for your presentation. Thank you. Very rich presentation. I'd like to stretch the language and the metaphors you're using. Uh, you referred to one of the critical things being uh, qualities of leadership from people higher up. Uh, in a way, I disagree. I think the fundamental thing is the style of leadership mm. in which it, uh, is more team-based and less hierarchical. And I think hierarchical leadership styles will always lend themselves to um, uh, misuse of authority and power. Uh, this winter when our son was in the ICU at the South Alberta Health Campus, they held a morning meeting in the hallway outside his room on the patient. And about nine people stood around in a circle, and it was driven by somebody on the computer who had the, the logged information. But they were very visually a circle, and they invited uh, us to Everyone. take part in it, and, and I did. Yeah. Didn't contribute anything, but I was impressed at the different style of leadership. Yeah. So I actually did not plant that. Um, I'm just going to let you know because um, for my postdoctoral research, what I did is I took the I didn't have time to go into this in the, my minute, my little 30 minutes. But I took those findings and I said, okay, well, what what can we do then? And what I did is I developed what was called the responsive leadership intervention, 
And what it is is it, it is actually a leadership training to collapse the hierarchy, exactly what you just said. And it, in conjunction with that, we implemented daily care team huddles, which is exactly what you just described, which is a care team huddle. And, and the purpose of the huddle is to bring the entire care team together every shift, every day, to increase collaborative decision making, increase communication, and increase um, quality of care as a result of that, obviously. And, and what we found, and, and I'm just working on publishing these findings, and, um, and, uh, and I'm actually doing uh, knowledge translation work in long-term care facilities as far as I, you know, as ranging as, as, as much as I can get to them um, in helping them implement this because this had profound po positive outcomes um, for the staff and increasing communication. So, yes, <laughs> we agree. <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Maria Fitzpatrick. Uh, my daughter works as a healthcare aide in a dementia unit uh, here in town. And um, it's been really interesting to hear what you have to say and I'd love to get a copy of your presentation. Um, several things don't happen mm -hmm. at the facility where she works. Uh, the Whoever worked the night shift will meet with these uh, two staff that are coming on in the daytime, uh, but it rarely happens. As you said, maybe once a year having uh, a whole team. Um, my daughter could uh, name any resident that she's had for the last five years. And when you talked about when a resident passes away, uh, in her unit, they knew when somebody was getting close. Mm -hmm. And um, if she was on a day off, she'd call uh, to find out how so-and-so was. Uh, I think when you look at uh, the kind of quality care when you go in and the patients respond positively to uh, the healthcare worker or the health aide, then you can say, yes, they're smiling, they're happy, they're clean. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, my question is, again, about the management, and we talked at our table about uh, the circular management where everybody is involved and, and putting in that their input. And... Um, for about a year and a half where my daughter works, they had a manager who uh, did more than discourage them uh, from going to funerals when the patient died, talking to the families. Yep. Uh, and to me, it's either you micromanage or you don't manage at all. Mm -hmm. But in that year and a half that manage, uh, manager was there, the entire... Uh, facility was a mess. Yep. Yeah. So what kinds of things can you do to change that? Um, oh, okay. How much time do we have? Um, in, anyone who's worked in, in any, it, it, so, it, so long as you haven't been self-employed and worked, you know, on your own, anytime you've worked on a team or in any organization, you know how important leadership is. And I say leadership as opposed to management because those are two very different things. Um, it sets the culture. It sets the, um, the, 
the resilience within the work environment. It sets, it sets everything. And, and the reason that I think it's so essential in health and 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 health and
uh, facilities or institutions or units. We need to take people who are leaders and we need to be very, very, very careful in who we select to put in those positions. Um, there's a lot of organizations that are actually taking people from, <laughs> this is kind of scary to me, um, taking people from uh, uh, other industries that have good, <laughs> they have demonstration, uh, demonstrated ability to balance budgets and to um, uh, manage other industries and they're plopping them into healthcare. And, and if they're really good leaders, then okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we need to really differentiate between those two and be very selective in who we put into those positions because of how much influence they have um, and the outcomes. Thank you. Thank you very much for your presentation. It was uh, very helpful. Mary Shillington. Um, I'm a retired clinical social worker who specialized in grief. So your comments about how the uh, air carried heard about the death of one of her patients and one of her family um, yeah. really affected me. So uh, what do you see? How do we need to change that? Uh, I know from the home care workers who worked at LFS, we had sessions with them mm -hmm. as somebody died or as a group died, mm -hmm. you know, and we worked with that. So what would you see happening now that could improve it for those care workers? Uh, excellent question. and. Um, what so it's not a simple thing to address and the reason it's not simple is that it's again it's individualized every care aid will have a different need and will have different varying needs depending upon the resident who has died um, and so you know i have given this presentation i have so much so much because I'm, I'm definitely an applied researcher. I do not just want other researchers to read my research. Like, I, I want it to somehow make a difference. And um, so I, I unfortunately, uh, well, not I, um, but unfortunately some of the responses to what I, when I've talked about this is people have gone back into the facilities and they have decided what they think the care aides need in how to deal with their grief. And that's not the way to address it. The way to address it is to go to the teams and say, what do you need? and ask them and find out from them what would best help them. And, and when I asked the carriage, they said, well, we would like to be contacted so that we can know when we should come in and we can be supportive for each other and we can help each other through that. And, and then the industry said, oh, no, privacy. We can't, we can't contact you. Um, and so we need to actually really look at this and look at, again, some of the unintended consequences of regulatory standards um, and, and figure out how to best support each team. And I've seen beautiful examples of, um, so some of the uh, long-term care facilities that I've worked with now, they um, go into the room, because this is something that a lot of the, you know, again, um, <laughs> systems, um, that bed is turned around in 24 hours. 24 hours and that has a lot of ramifications not just for the staff but also for the family members who get the call and they have 24 hours to accept that and admit their loved one um, and for the staff they have very little time then to process this and so what they're doing in one of the facilities is they go into the room before all of the long list of things that needs to occur as a result of a death and it's a long list they go in and they light a candle and they, well, it can't be a real one because of, again, 
Um, but they they take a, one of those cool. They have really nice electric ones now, and um, and they and they have a moment, and they can each tell a story um, about this person. Or they'll have a they'll have a book, and they can each write a story over a period of a week. And then that book, which has these very humanized stories of this person who has passed away, who was a part of this family in this facility, gets given to the family members. And so there are, there are some beautiful things that can be done. But we first have to address and accept the fact that death is occurring and that there's grief as a result of it. Yes. Thank you for coming. My name is Tad Mitsui. 25 years ago, I was on the board of a small facilities. And uh, some cases that were very difficult came to the board. Two examples. One 97-year-old man could not stop smoking. Mm. And uh, he m became uh, quite a nuisance. But we kept saying no. Yep. Second one. Another was a woman who could not live without her cat. We said yes to her. Mm -hmm. And that was a great success. Mm -hmm. And whole floor loved the cat. When she went and the cat went, they adopted another cat. <laughs> Could you comment on those two cases, please? Yeah. Um, again, that's... Uh so one, allowing the cat in is going against probably a standard, <laughs> right? And, and, instead, um, and instead going for person-centered care. And, and, and the smoking issue, you know, I was, I was working in long-term care when they systematically went, this is a non, this is non-smoking. You're talking about people who have smoked they're in their 90s. This is a part of their quality of life. I'm not a smoker. I, I, I will admit it. I don't like being around smoking. However, if this is supposed to be a home, and this is supposed to be person-centered care, and we're like, yeah, I really struggle with that. And there are, there are issues with that. Um, we, we, we face those in every single day in the routines that we build for it. I mean, a, a smaller but equally important one is is the is the person who has a cup of coffee in her in her dressing gown every day and has done that before she has breakfast and reads her paper well we will say oh no nope, everyone has to be down in the in the dining room by this time and this is the you know there are so many things that get in the way of person centered care and it's about empowering staff to be able to individualize it Bizarrely, in BC, there were just several long-term care facilities that were designated as ones where they would have a smoking room, and so that meant <laughs> that if you if you needed to, if you were a smoker and that was and you refused to quit smoking to be admitted into a facility, you would be relocated to another city to go into the facility that had the smoking designated smoking room, which meant you lost your entire support system. Um, and that, that, was your, that was your choice. Those are your two choices. I love the fact that, that you said yes to the cat. And I'm not at all surprised that that had such positive outcomes on so many levels. Um, uh, I, I think that, that we need to 
We need to have flexibility if we're going to provide the kind of care that people want uh, in these institutions. And um, unfortunately, the unintended flip side or the unintended consequence and the flip side of all of our regulatory standards that we're putting in place to try to ensure that the quality of care is high, get thought, they, they make it so regimented that there's no flexibility for that. I was in one facility where we weren't even allowed to decorate it anymore because they decided it was a fire hazard. We had to fight that. I mean, it can just be, you know, we, we get, People have a right to have some risk in their life too. And just because you're a senior, <laughs> even with dementia even, like Lyra, 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 Lyra,
which 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 is 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 the 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 based on our claim that this is safer for them. Sorry, <laughs> that's a little soapbox. <laughs> yeah, I'm Trevor Page. Yeah, you've identified numerous systemic and management problems, and you've clarified that your research was done in BC. I'm wondering whether, I'm assuming that it's representative of the various types of long-term care facilities in BC. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering to what extent 
you know how that would apply in Alberta and Canada, if you know too. Yes. And it would seem that the conventional wisdom, both federally and provincially, is to go for home care in terms of long-term care. And I wonder if you have any comment on whether you're in favor of that. You seem to be very much against City Hall and the problems that are posed in trying to get that changed. So where are we going to get the better quality of care in our final days? At home? Or in the facility. Or in a facility. Okay, two excellent questions. One, um, I had the opportunity to present the, um, my research at the International Association of Geriatrics and Gerontology in Korea. And it was an international audience, and I had people come from countries throughout Europe, uh, Asia, North America, and all of them said, this is exactly what's happening in our homes where we are. So this is um, systemic. It is a part of the way the system is built, uh, and it doesn't matter where you are situated. Um, so absolutely, BC, Alberta. Um, because what's interesting is where I did my postdoctoral research, where I actually did the responsive leadership intervention, was here in Alberta. I was in um, four different long-term care facilities, two in uh, Calgary and two in Edmonton. And when I presented my findings, all of them were like, yep, this is exactly what we have here. And this is a problem. This is the same problem we have here, which is why they um, actually I fly back and forth from Victoria to, uh, to those two cities to do that research. So absolutely replica uh, transferable, replica replicable. Um, the next question, um, on where the better care is, I, I have to say, absolutely, um, my stepfather has said unequivocally, knowing my career and, and my background, you know, I, I would rather die than go into a long-term care facility, and you need to be very aware of that. And, yeah, <laughs> I knew, so... And that's a very, very prevalent thought. Um, it's pervasive and it's prevalent, and I get it. However, I can also tell you that I have lost track of how many individuals who I have in the 20 years that I've worked in this field who have come into long-term care facilities and have gone from a very low quality of life to a much higher quality of life once they were admitted. And this is because they've gone from being socially isolated not having consistent um, meals or uh, even hydration, medications not being managed as well. And they go from, uh, and, and even and as a recreation therapist, I mean, that's my focus, is their social, emotional, spiritual, physical, cognitive well-being, um, to actually have social opportunities. I, I, it's not that it is, like it can often really increase quality of life. And we, we, we disregard that reality. And I'll also say that we have, and here's the interesting standard. Someone decided somewhere, and this is now pervasive everywhere, <laughs> that any long, new long-term care beds that are, or, or, or facilities that are built, they're all private rooms. And I can tell you, so many residents that I've worked with do so much better in a semi-private room or even a four-bed ward. And the reason is because they get double the visits 
because the family members of the person who's in the bed next to them, they kind of adopt them often, right? And then the grandkids come in and they get to see those and they become they become friends often. The only ones we ever hear about though are when there's a, there's a tension. We disregard all of the positive outcomes and so now it's not even an option in the new building. They're all private. And so what we're doing is because someone decided that they, and I swear it was someone who's not worked in long-term care, that they <laughs> would only want to have a private room if they had, you know, God forbid, had to go into a long-term care facility and so now this is a standard. Um, I, I, it's just <laughs> so frustrating to me. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know if I even answered your question at all. Um, so, so, oh, so uh, I think that there are many individuals who, uh, I think most, if you ask anyone, they will all say they would rather be cared for at home. Uh, if we're going to do that, we need to care for the whole person, not just their physical well-being. As a recreation therapist, I believe this really strongly. And we have to really look at social isolation. We have to really look at um, uh, uh, all, the, all of the needs that actually can get met in a long-term care facility that can't get met at home. And how are we going to do this? Which means we need to take recreation therapists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists, and we need to actually really look at the whole person if we're going to truly care for them at home. And we have not put those kind of resources in. And anyone who's looking at home care, they're looking at trying to, to <laughs> Um, do it with, at, with the least amount of costs. And, and we can't look at that as a cost-saving initiative. We need to look at it as a quality of life and quality of care initiative. And if we're going to do that, then we need to really invest in it. And I don't think we have. Before our last question, I just want to quickly make a comment. Is um, There was actually this conference I went to about um, interest-based housing instead of medical models. And one of the interesting things that they were saying that seniors are not looking at facilities anymore. They're looking at what their interest is. And there's a facility in England that built an old car garage and built lodges on top of the old garage. So the guys can go down, tinker on yeah. the garage, and then go back up to their, their housing. And a uh, true fact is 89-year-old women dominate the cruise ship industry. Yes, <laughs> ladies, that's where I will be. <laughs> Going from cruise ship to, to cruise, cruise ship, ship dancing yes. with all night long. Anyway, <laughs> um, so Bev will have as the last question, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Thank 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 thank
for your 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 I was very happy to hear that you are saying that the um, conservative model of where we take Medicare and and long-term care and everything else and put it under the same thing as the Royal Bank or industries, um, that it doesn't work and there are other factors and you've outlined those factors beautifully. It's kind of like a functional family versus a dysfunctional family. So I'm wondering, when you describe the problems with the regulations, and then you describe, so at one extreme and then the other extreme, right in the business, mm -hmm. right in the facility. Where, how do you envision um, helping to change things so that they fit the best aspects of your model? And are you in touch with our Alberta government and Sarah Hoffman, Minister of, Minister of Health, mm -hmm. Um, do you think that these are some ways that you could change things? There's an opportunity right now in Alberta with an NDP government. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, every, I, I would think anyway, every researcher's dream is to actually, you know, make a difference in, in, in policy. Um, uh, if I had the opportunity, I absolutely would jump on it. I, 
having been newly kind of transplanted into Alberta, I haven't made those inroads and connections yet here, but would jump on those opportunities. Um, I have to say, I, I uh, presented to BC Ministry of Health twice, um, and they, my, the response was, this is very interesting. This is very, very, very important, and we should probably do something about that sometime in the next 12 years. <laughs> um, please come back. And it kind of <laughs> made me go, okay, that's not the way to try to actually make change. And what I need to do is go into facilities and work directly with the people who are trying, who are, who, who are, who are ready to take this on and, and, to, and to do it. And so that's what I've been doing instead, um, is working directly with facilities, uh, going in and training their leaders and, and helping them figure out how to implement huddles and creating huddle vision statements with the carries as the leaders in them. And, uh, and what I've found is that it's working. Um, and so I'm trying to, I know it's the long, hard road, <laughs> but I'm trying to make change uh, at, the, at the level of the facility at this point. Um, so yeah, and then there was something else I was gonna say in response to that, but I, it's gone, sorry. <laughs> and I just, oh, I just am so honored to be here, and thank you so much for initiating this, and, um, and this has just been a real pleasure, and, and thank you all for deciding that this is a topic that was worthy of you taking some time out to come and, and listen to. So, yeah. <laughs>